We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Right, so we are on episode number nine of the King's series. So uh, with episode nine, we're going to be focusing on chapter eight, just to keep you confused. Um, So in the previous uh, chapters, we have looked at Solomon uh, setting up his government, setting up his cabinet. Then we've looked at uh, the preparation for the building of the temple. Um, Then we had the building of the temple. And then in chapter 7 that Jeremy spoke on last week, we looked at the furnishing of the temple. So now we get to chapter 8. This is the dedication of the temple. This is the big ceremony, the big speech and prayer of Solomon. So again, I'm not going to give you verse by verse. There's lots of verses. There's 66 verses in chapter chapter 8, and it goes into quite a lot of detail. Um, So I'm going to pick out some themes as we go, and then um, there's a few verses that I particularly want to zoom into. Um, We may not get through all of the notes I've got today. That's absolutely fine because we want to be based, we want to work based on what we feel God's doing at the moment rather than what we prepared for. So the key themes that I want to look at today is the idea that the heart of the matter is the heart. The heart of the matter is the heart. That his presence is overwhelming and leaves a mark. And if we get time, we're going to look at the difference between the, show, the star of the show and the cameo role. And we're going to look at the scandal of forgiveness. So, uh, Jonty's just going to come read the first bit. So, he need that mic. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, so, we kick off for the first few verses of chapter, um, chapter 8 here. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the Ark and they brought up the Ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. Okay, thank you. Okay, so we're getting the idea is the ark is being moved. So the ark had been in the temple. Now they've built the... Sorry, the ark had been in the tabernacle. Now they've built the temple. There's a need to move the ark. Remember, the ark represented the hot spot, the presence of God. So where the ark is, God is saying that that symbolizes me being there with you. So it's not the first time that the ark has been moved. Um, and so I want us to look, to look at this point here, the idea that the heart of the matter is the heart. Last week, Jeremy um, made this point, which I think was really powerful, that Solomon followed David's plan, but missed David's purpose. He did everything that Solomon told him to do, 
but not why, he didn't follow why, why David wanted to do it. And to me, this is a very important issue for us as Lifeline Church at this point in time because we are, um, we've been looking at it for a while that those that have led us for the last 40 years will not be leading us for the next 40 years. And there's a dis- responsibility on us not just to do the plan that has been laid before us, but do the purpose of the plan. We've got to know what was it that started our spiritual forefathers on the journey to begin with. We've got to love the destination. Otherwise, the danger is we could mess up like Solomon and we get so fixated with what it looks like on the outside that we forget why we're doing it in the first place. We've got to love the same thing. And I remember Bernard, talk, Bernard Sanders talked a long time ago, the difference between the blessing and the birthright. The birthright is the thing that we want to keep going. It's, it's the right to be part of the plans and purposes that God has. We can get distracted by the blessing, the former stuff, the good stuff that we see on the outside, or we can be about the, the destination of the journey. But aren't we being a little bit harsh on Solomon? Didn't, didn't he have a good, good crack at it? It doesn't say he did anything wrong in that passage that we just read. But here we see another example of Solomon missing the purpose. Why did David want to bring the ark to Jerusalem in the first place? Because, as I said, there was two times the ark was, was moved at, at this point once they'd occupied the land. The first time we see David bringing the ark um, from Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. The next one, we see the ark being brought from the tabernacle into the temple. Both had to move the ark. Why did David want it there in the first place? Well, you kind of pick it up when you read some of the Psalms, some of David's attitude to the presence of God. So Psalm... 27 verse 4 says one thing I have asked for from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days to behold the beauty of of the Lord and to meditate in his temple there was such a desire in David he loved the presence of God and you see that when it comes to the procession of moving the ark towards Jerusalem that David's kind of position He was singing. He was dancing. It says in chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Eden to the city of David with rejoicing. There was joy. The presence of God. I'm going to be close to the presence of God. And it says um, in verse 14 and 15, he was wearing a, a linen ephod, which is what the priests wore. So he wasn't wearing his kingly robes. He wanted to be one that went into the presence of God. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. David's abandonment in the celebration of the presence of God coming led to his wife condemning him because he, he looked embarrassing. He, he was not, his behaviour was not fitting of a king. Because he was a child lost in a joy. When we look at Solomon in this chapter, you see someone that was very proper. Very, he looked the part. 
He had great appearance. Great appearance. Uh, he, he had a very exuberant display of worship. Lot, again, lots of animals killed in sacrifice and, and worship. But you never get from Solomon in all of 1 Kings a sense of his enjoyment of the presence of God. He didn't love it like David did. He didn't have a heart devoted to God. He didn't have relationship. And we see throughout the story of Solomon, and it comes even more avert as we get into the following chapters, Solomon had a divided heart. He was religious. He did the activities. But there was a corruption inside, a division inside his heart. And the Bible talks a lot about our hearts. He says there's a, there's a battle over your heart. Offers a, the Bible offers a very damning and accurate assessment of the human heart. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's beyond cure. What can you do if your heart is beyond cure? You need a transplant. And that's effectively what the Bible talks about in Ezekiel. Then I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's his promise. A heart transplant. That's what we need. So this theme continues through the scripture. See in Joel, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. There's a promise. Imagine hearing that for the first time. He's going to pour out his spirit. That means new heart, new life. It means his spirit within me. But his spirit was in the temple. It was in the ark. It was in the tabernacle. But now you're talking about it being in me. And then we see the fulfillment in Acts 2. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, Holy, as the Spirit enabled them. He fulfilled it. He did what he promised. What was always lined up for us. What is the impact of his Spirit coming to produce a new heart in us. Romans is pretty good on this. Romans 8. In order that the righteous requirements of the law (coughs) might be fulfilled in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So remember in Ezekiel, I will move you. I will put a new heart in you which will move you, which will motivate you, which will cause you to desire to follow my law. And that's what is happening. The Spirit leads us to fulfill the requirements of God. 
We could never do it with our fallen heart. We couldn't live up to what he wanted. But when his spirit comes and lives in us, it enables us to live according to what he wants. And later on in Romans 16, uh, uh, 8 verse 16, the spirit himself testified with our spirit that we're children of God. So when his spirit is poured out on us, we live in a way that pleases him. And we come to know that we are his children. We are the children of God. I can't, gra- I can't grip that. I can't grab that myself. It's something that his spirit speaks to my spirit and causes something to come out and grasp. So, our hearts are corrupt. We need a transplant. But he promises to fill us up with his spirit and he brings us back into a, a relationship that we could not possibly have hoped for, of intimacy just like what he intended at the beginning. I need a new heart. It is the work of his spirit in me that causes that to happen. Solomon needed a new heart because he was just doing on the outside something that David did from the inside out. Do you want to be genuine in your pursuit of God? Not just going through the motions, not just trying hard to to live by the law, doing the things that you think you should do. Do you want a love for the presence of God? When I taught on chapter 6, I talked about the temple us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, carrying the Spirit in every situation. Perhaps you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've made that decision to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which is a work of the Spirit in itself, but you think, I think there's more. I don't think I'm living in everything that God's got for me. Perhaps You've had times of knowing the infilling of the Spirit. But it's historical now. It's not current. It's not recent. The Bible talks about being, be being filled. It's a present tense idea. That should be something we can have every single day. I want you to hold these things in your mind because we're going to have an opportunity to respond in a second. So... Do you want God to give you a new heart? Do you want that fresh infilling of the presence of God? Hold that thought. We then see this idea of the obstructive presence of God. So they've just carried the, the ark in and placed it inside the Holy of Holies in the temple. It says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests couldn't do their job. The priests had been given a job by God to do and they couldn't do it because God got in the way. Wouldn't that be great to be caught up in his presence to that effect We can't even do the things that we normally do to worship him. Because he's there. Dad, tell us that story that you've told us a few times of knowing his presence. Yeah. 
to turn aside from the procedure to actually experience God's presence is just it's just what he wants and he's there to meet with us and I can look back at different things a particular thing that Jamie's referring to is there was no th- nothing around I was sitting in Dawn's parents front room on my own the spirit of God came up so strongly that I thought if I stretched out my hand in fact I was frightened to stretch out my hand because I thought I would touch the Lord but you know what I've never forgotten that I thank God for that experience but this is where I am I don't want to spend my life looking back on that I want to be thankful of it but I want the now and present experience and I think for many of us it's a time when we can look back and be thankful nothing wrong with that I believe it's a time when God by his Holy Spirit in this community in this church wants to bring us again into the fullness and freshness of the Holy Spirit I believe that this is not it's something to thank God for in the past but in the present it's a time I believe for a refreshing a renewing and I don't know maybe why not take a moment to just say do I identify with this am I wanting not to just look back am I wanting not even to be able to look back because I don't have an experience like that but I'm listening and something stirs in with within me and I want something more I want this fullness of the Holy Spirit I want my heart melted before him and I suggest just let's take a few moments before we move on to just be open before God and let's make a response before God if something is stirring in you and you say yeah just like I'm saying I look back but in the present time I've found more and more I'm saying Lord I want to I want to know you. I want that that experience, that that reality of knowing your presence and 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 being lost in wonder and love and praise. I want it new. I don't want it just looking back on the old. And I thank you, Lord, for every time of of encounter with you. And it just causes me to want more. Spirit of God, just come afresh out your spirit now we don't want the externals the procedures the things of the Solomon was doing in the temple to outweigh the purpose we ask that you would confirm by your spirit that assurance that my precious brothers and sisters are welcomed into your kingdom confirmed as chosen by you becoming children of the living God Lord will you settle that deep in their hearts and fill them with your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus yes, Lord we thank you for your presence we thank you for what you offer us that you come and dwell within us oh Lord we desire your presence 
So in the same way that Spirit can talk to us when we're in times of response, same Spirit can be working in um, as, we're, as we're listening to his word. The next thing that, that was really coming up was this idea of the cameo role or the starring role. And you see that you've had this presence of God come and manifest to make himself so clear in the presence of everyone there. And it's, it's staggering. And you, you see that Solomon kind of gets that idea when he says, when he's, he's doing his dedication speech, he says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built? And in Psalm 127, which Solomon wrote, he said, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. He realizes God plays a bigger part here than I do. But yet we're seeing this constant battle over Solomon where he's, he's kind of double-minded. And the Bible says that means you're unstable in all your ways when you're double-minded. And we see this, like Solomon stands in front of all the people and he gives this big dedication speech. But there's an awful lot of Solomon in his speech. And you, you, you see it, like he talks about I sit on the throne and he says, I have built. And he says, I have provided a place. And then the, the, the kicker, this one here, I have indeed built a magnificent temple. He's just had the presence of God descend on this place to which the priests could not carry out their duty. And yet his interest is the structure and his role in the construction of the structure completely misses what was right in front of his face. The presence of the creator of the universe was just in town. And all he can think of how pretty the building was. We can still miss stuff. We can be in the presence of God and be more focused on what our role is and how it reflects on us. Compare that to, to uh, 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Everything we do is for his glory and his fame. He has the starring role. I'm a bit part in this, but what a privilege to have a bit part, to be the cameo. Do you think there might be anywhere where you've worshipped the created rather than the creator? Do you know that we can worship worship? We can become so focused on the feelings that we get in worship or the performance of ourselves in worship that we forget that God is there. We can sit down and think, that was a really good worship session. On what basis? We can make an idol of any good thing if it becomes an ultimate thing. And as long as it's not God, it's created, because he's the only creator. Anything you give priority to over God, whether it's friendships or family or career or education or me time, is a created thing that can become more important to you than the creator. Solomon had an ego problem. 
His ego was hogging the stage. So how do we battle our ego? It's constantly fighting for attention, fighting for meaning. How can I not have to be center stage, the star of my show? Back in May, I told you this story that um, happened for me. So when I was, I took a year out when I was 18, and I went to, um, I went to New Hampshire where Keith Marsh was, and my brothers hadn't been there. And that this is this is my chance. My my year out is my year of discovering myself, <laughs> making a name for myself, coming out of uh, the shadows of my brothers. And they've not been to New Hampshire, so no one knows them. And I was I was a rock star. The British accent worked wonders there, but I, but they didn't have a youth group. And I set up a youth group. So like I'm this cool young British rock star on fire for God. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I went straight from there to Trinidad, where both my brothers had been, and I wasn't doing anything up front. I was just blending in uh, to, to, to the background and studying. And every time I tried to speak publicly, my jokes fell flat, and I stumbled over my words, and I was becoming more and more self-conscious every time. And one guy said to me, oh man, when Nathan came to this island, he took it by storm. Everyone loved him. You're very different to him, aren't you? <laughs> Stab right to the heart. And I thought, there's only one way for it. I'm going to have to be bigger. I'm going to have to be louder. I'm going to have to be the life of the party to be at peace with myself. And then God gave me this picture where I saw an ant and two ants next to each other. And God asked, can you tell one ant from the other ant? I said, no. And he said, do you think he minds that you can't tell him from the other ant? I said, no, I think he's an ant. I don't think he cares. And then God said, why doesn't he care? And then almost my vision zoomed out. And I saw this colony of ants carrying stuff. And as I followed along the line, I saw where they were going. They were building a kingdom. And that was more important to them than their own individual identity. When it's not all about you, you can participate in being, having everything about him. If I hadn't had that experience and God speak to me like that, I couldn't be backstage. I would have to be center stage. I couldn't be quiet in a group. I'd have to be the loudest. God did something in me that wasn't about just managing my, my disease, my ego disease. It was, he caused me to see something that was more important. And you see, David saw something that was more important than him. When Jeremy said last week, David stockpiled nails for the doors. He wasn't allowed to build the temple, but he wanted to be part of the building of something that was bigger than him, that was more important to him. We get to stockpile for the next generation. I get to invest today in those that will carry the journey on after me. And as one that is participating now, I want to make sure that I'm following what caused this group to start out on the journey in the first place. What was it that caused John Singleton to start his pilgrimage? He saw the presence of God and he loved it. And even how he can lead us into times of responding to the presence of God there was something that he loved 
and he loves still. And it comes out of him, it's, it oozes out of him. I don't want to just be an effective administrator or pastor or speaker. I want to love the presence of God like I've seen him love it. I want God to put that in my heart because that's the only way I can invest in the movement continuing. God, create in me a hunger for you. That I would just love you. I would be similar to, to, to Paul when he says, but whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in the suffering, becoming like him in death. But I can't do it. I can't make myself desire that stuff, but he can work in me to cause me to desire him. And that's why I'm saying, God, have your way. Do that in me. How am I doing for time, Nick? Am I over? Five minutes. I really do want to get to this little bit, so let me zoom through this. Um, there's a key part, well, there's a theme coming up in uh, Solomon's dedication prayer, which is forgiveness. He keeps talking about Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And we have forgiveness because of the work of Jesus. The whole temple ceremonies and the, 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 the shedding of the blood of a sacrifice was all pointing towards Jesus. It is important to remember that there is a difference between forgiveness and consequence. We are forgiven all the time we suffer the consequences of our actions. I don't have a lot of time to go into that because I really want to get to, to this part. It's important that we remember... That sin came at a cost. It's not a cost that we have to pay, though. So you can say, well, okay, what can I get away with? Whenever we used to do the sex talk with the kids, that was always the question, what can I get away with? Well, it's not really the attitude, is it? Because if I love God, I want to please him. I'm not thinking, how much abuse can I give him and him still forgive me? Does God take it seriously? When you see a man hanging on the cross, you see that God takes it seriously. It, none other than the Son of God had to hang on the cross. So yes, God takes it seriously. But when I see an empty tomb, I see confirmation that that sin has been dealt with and forgiven. So, uh, John C., just... just Read this bit, because I want to do a response on this bit here. Uh, Nick's got it. When they sin against you, you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you with all their heart, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer. And forgive your people who have sinned against you, forgive all the offenses they have committed against you, 
and cause their captors to show them mercy. Even if they were captured due to their own rebellion, they can still have a change of heart. It makes me think of the story of the prodigal son. He comes to his senses, the young man comes to his senses, in a distant, faraway land. And you see him rehearsing his speech as he's walking this long, long journey home. But the father is watching for him. I don't know how many days, weeks, months, years that the father has been standing on his porch watching, hoping, longing for the returning of, of, of the child. And when he sees him, he runs. Now, in that culture, old men didn't run. It was, it was embarrassing. It's, it was shocking. But the father ran, and he embraces him. The son didn't even get to make his speech. The father's love interrupted him before he even got there. That's the nature of God's forgiveness. And it's never too late. You can never be too far away from God for his forgiveness to come for you. I try my best. Um, I turn, I think I've walked far away from him. I turn around and he's right behind me. And he'd been there the whole time. Do you have someone far away that has been captured? And they feel like they're in a distant land. But God can cause them to change of, have a change of heart where they are. And that he will hear their prayer and welcome them back. I want us to take some time to pray for those people. And Mark's going to come um, and use this song, I Speak in the Name of Jesus. Because sometimes that's all we can do. Let's just speak the name of Jesus. Just as Mark leads us in this song. Let's be open to God for him to bring to mind a particular situation, loved one, one that one perhaps once ran well. Just speak the name of Jesus, the name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, salvation comes. Thank you, Mark. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. 
we believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.